Mark chapter 1, Into the Wilderness. This is part two of a message that we began a few Sundays ago. Into the Wilderness of Temptation. We're going to be talking about temptation. If you don't deal with that, you can go ahead and leave now. But anybody else (laughs) who does, stick around. It's going to be great. We're going to get a lot of insight from the Word of God. Into the Wilderness of Temptation. I just heard from a church member that there's a family in Romania... Uh, They were from Romania, living in Norway, and I got some bits and pieces of the story, but basically what's happening is that there's a Romanian pastor moved to Norway, family of five children, taught them to pray. The kids were praying at a public school, were arrested for praying, and the government has taken all the children away and is trying to put them into the system and get them adopted to different homes and taken away from their parents. So I guess it's illegal to pray in Norway. I hope it doesn't happen here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of the scriptures, the hope that we have. There's so much nonsense going on in our world, Lord, but the church has always experienced persecution. It's just... It's just what you told us is going to happen, and we can't always make sense of it. We don't understand it, but we are going to pray that you would bring these children back to their family, back to their mom and dad. We, we know there's a lot of petitions out there, a lot of people that are um, picketing and making their voices known, and we're grateful for that. But we, we pray that you would move in a mighty way to bring deliverance to this family, and we pray over our nation with all that's going on in our country, Lord, and the the divisions that happen here and the waywardness that occurs. And we know um, we're on the heels of another major election in our country. And we just pray that the church will rise up and there will be a voice of clarity and hope and light and truth. As we look to this message about the wilderness and about temptation, Lord, we, we need your help so desperately. We face it every day, every moment of every day. Sometimes in, temptation is so intense we don't even know what we're going to do and you've provided a way of escape and you've provided a savior a lord a great high priest in heaven whoever lives to help his people to intercede for them thank you for that lord thank you that you provide a way of escape thank you that you're an ever-present help in time of need we are needy people lord we confess it So please fill us with your Holy Spirit today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you would say to your people, your church. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, Mark 1. Last time we were together, I pointed out to you this emergence of a word wilderness in the text, Mark chapter 1. This is what scholars would call the wilderness tradition that emerges from the Old Testament in the life of Israel. We saw the voice, Mark 1.3, of John the Baptist crying in the wilderness. He was a fulfillment of prophecy. Notice the word wilderness there. In Hebrew, the wilderness word is transliterated into English as midbar. It's M-I-D-B-A-R. It speaks of a wide open place. The Greek word can speak of a place of abandonment. But the word midbar also has a root meaning of speech or mouth. And I mentioned to you that The wilderness is also the place of the word. It's the place where God does training. He shapes and molds uh, his vessels. And here, John is in the wilderness, and he's crying. He's trying to prepare the people. 
He says, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Last time we looked at Jesus' approach, John says, verse 8, Mark 1, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, we don't get the detail from Mark, but other gospel writers tell us that when he approached, John said to him, you come to me for baptism, I need to be baptized by you. In fact, I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of your sandal. And Jesus' response was, let this be so that we might fulfill all righteousness. And I gave you a picture I said, Jesus coming to John for baptism because he said it was a baptism of repentance and he was calling people to come into the Jordan and prepare the way of the Lord would be like Jesus coming in the back doors of the church and I gave an altar call and I said, hey, if you want to receive the Lord and you want to get right with God, come forward. And Jesus himself, if he came forward at my altar call, what would I do? Imagine I walked down to the front and Jesus looked me in the eye and said, I'm here for the altar call. And I said, uh... I need to come to your altar call. And you come to me. And I mentioned to you that there's an insight and this insight is given in a wonderful commentary by William Lane on the Gospel of Mark. And he says, what Jesus is really doing in the wilderness is he is identifying with us. He's identifying with people like us. He's identifying namely with the people of Israel. Because when they hear the word wilderness, they think of failure. That's where they all failed. That's where only two men, Joshua and Caleb, went into the promised land. And their failure was centered around one idea, unbelief. And so here's Jesus, and he comes to John, and John says, no, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, let this be so, because this is really the beginning of his earthly ministry journey. He's already been born of a virgin. He's already identified with us in terms of his humanity. But now he begins a public ministry where he will identify with us in the wilderness, if you will. His whole ministry was about the wilderness. In fact, somebody said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. You better consider what you're saying before you commit to follow me. His whole life was really about the wilderness. And here he is in the wilderness coming to John. And something profound, something miraculous occurs. It says immediately, Mark 1.10, coming up out of the waters of baptism, out of the water, he saw Jesus did the heavens opening and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. Thou art my beloved Son. In thee... I am well pleased. Now that's where we left off last time. And we talked about some of the implications of Jesus' baptism. There's another place where this kind of miraculous occurrence happens and it's at the Mount of Transfiguration later in Jesus' ministry. It's recorded by Mark and Luke and Matthew. And in that, on that occasion, he takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up to a mountain, and the glory cloud begins to descend over them, and they're frightened and freaked out, and it's, uh, Jesus is transfigured, and the voice of the Father from heaven says, this is my beloved Son, in Him I am well pleased. And then he adds, do you remember? Listen to Him. The wilderness is the place of the Word, Jesus goes into the waters of baptism. This would remind the Israelites that 
when God was coming down on Sinai, they needed to go through a cleansing process before they could meet the Lord. And now Jesus Christ is on a mountain, almost reminiscent of Sinai, and the glory cloud comes over that particular area, and there Jesus is, it's all Old Testament imagery here, you guys. And the Lord is saying, my son is the answer. My son is the answer for the lost sheep of Israel, but not just for them, for any person who's a lost sheep. He's the answer. And here's the deal. Jesus is going to retrace the steps of fallen Israel. It's been silent for 400 years. Malachi is the last prophet. John begins to preach in the wilderness. And Jesus' steps in the wilderness are all to retrace where Israel failed, he is going to succeed. Where they fell, he is going to stand tall. And the reason he does it is because he loves you. Mark 10.45, I told you, is probably the theme verse of the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He's going to do for Israel and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's the intention of the wilderness. That's the wilderness tradition that is emerging in the text. And this is what it's all about. It's about Jesus, the embodiment of the Word, the one who is called the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's about to show us how to do it, how to deal with temptation, how to overcome temptation. But the first thing I want you to see is with the water and the cloud and the heavens opening, that there are, there are images that are going back to the Old Testament. Now, there's a key passage in 1 Corinthians 10. It's to your right. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a verse that many of us are familiar with. We may not always realize the context, but the Apostle Paul is going back and he's looking at the wilderness wilderness wanderings of Israel and he's writing to a Gentile church. The church at Corinth was a Gentile church planted in a place much like Las Vegas or New Orleans or something like that. And he's writing and he goes back and he tells the story of Israel. He says, look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers, that is the Israelites, were all under the cloud. Now, I mentioned to you that when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, that cloud comes. All passed through the sea. All were baptized, notice 1 Corinthians 10, 2, into Moses. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, in the cloud, and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock, this is a picture of the wilderness, which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was what? Not well pleased. Now think about it. When the heavens open at his baptism, he says, that's my beloved son whom I love. With him I am what? Well pleased. But with Israel, he was not well pleased. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 29, I always do the things that please my Father. And he was in conflict with the Jewish leadership and they were questioning, where, where did you come from? Who do you think you are? And Jesus said to them, you know what? My word has no place in you. But if you want to be my disciple, then you need to abide in my word. And if you abide in my word and you do what it says, 
you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you follow sin, you will be a slave to sin. And they said, ah, we've, we've never been in bondage to anyone. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you have. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia. The guys who responded to Jesus' comments were now under Roman occupation as a nation. Oh, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Hello? That's just simply denial, which you know is only a river in Egypt anyway. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. But that was their problem. They kept wanting go to go back to Egypt. As soon as it got difficult, They were ready to turn tail and go back. How about you? How much heat does it take for you to say, you know what, I'm not sure I can do this Christian thing. How many of you are ready to wave the white flag or have been in the past? You know, sometimes we feel like, let's be honest, we feel like we, I don't even know if I can make it. Sometimes it seems temptation is so intense, it seems like it'd be so easy just to get back on the caravan and go back to Egypt. Yeah, there's slavery there, but... You know, it's hard in the desert sometimes. It's hard in the wilderness, but the wilderness is the place where God shapes and molds. And this is the work that he's doing in the people of Israel. And he says, look at this, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10. He says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. Everybody should have this verse memorized. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, in light of this truth, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Every temptation that you and I face is common to all of us. Sometimes when you are facing a temptation, you feel like you're all alone. You feel like you're on temptation island. (laughs) Nobody else goes through this. Nobody knows the sorrow I've seen, <laughs> right? It just gets like, you, you think, does any other Christian go through this stuff? Answer, yeah, it's common to all of us. The promise that we have is not that God will remove the fire of temptation necessarily. The promise in verse 13 is that he will provide the way, and I think the way speaks of he is the way. He's not only the way of salvation, he's the way out of temptation, He'll provide a way of escape. Whenever you are tempted, you can be assured based upon this verse that he will always illuminate a way out. The question is, will you take it? That's up to you. He will give you a way of escape, but you must take the exit. And temptation is tough to deal with. Temptation is a Greek word, parazzo. It can mean temptation or test depending on the context. It's the same Greek word. So depending, God never, James 1, 12 and 13 says, God never tempts anyone to do evil. But God will sometimes take a temptation and use it for a test to make us better. He doesn't tempt us to do evil, but God will sometimes allow us to be in a situation where he illuminates a door and he says, take the exit. I'll tell you this, in the first five years of my Christian walk, I was a disaster. I kept trying to go back to my old life. I kept trying to go back to Egypt. 
I thought, well, maybe you can live, you know, this Jesus thing is cool. So I had a foot in Jesus, and then I had a foot in the world, and I was a miserable soul. Somebody once said, when you have a foot in Jesus and a foot in the world, you're a fence sitter. And picture a picket fence, and now you got it. (laughs) It's not so comfortable place to be. So oftentimes, I would go back to my old life, and I would fail, and I would go into depression. I would feel miserable, and and that cycle happened. And I just want to tell you, if you're there, if you're a newer Christian, I'm not excusing what I did. I'm not proud of what I did. But I went through a season like that, where I tasted and I saw that the Lord was good, but yet I was feeling this pull back to the land of Egypt and all that it had. And then finally, it, was, it seemed like one thing at a time, the Lord just started removing from my life. And he was showing me things. He was showing me truth and showing me depth, showing me substance. He was showing me, this is what life is about, Michael. It's not about you and about your pleasures and about your portfolio. It's about me and how I want to use you. And I tell you what, I've ha- I had some poignant moments in my life where as close as I've ever gotten to hearing an audible voice from the Lord, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, decide. I want to use you, Michael, but you need to let that thing go. And I would wrestle with the Lord. Because temptation, by definition, is tempting. If it weren't, It wouldn't matter to me. I wouldn't even think twice about it. Temptation comes in alluring packages. It looks good. It's that shiny, forbidden fruit. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's able to make one wise. And the devil's usually there. In temptation, what does he say? Hey, God knows. God's been holding back from me. I know there's 2,000 fruit trees you can choose from, but it's this one that you really need. Yeah. (laughs) We're like, yeah. And all of a sudden, everything else goes out of focus and it's that one tree you have to have. It's like the siblings on Christmas morning fighting over the toy. He got that. I want that in mine, 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 mine. They'll fight over an empty box. Why? Because he has it and I don't. Then you grow up and you're driving and you see the guy with the car over there. Jesus. But deep down, you're like, oh, man, I, I'd like that. <laughs> Why does he have it? I heard the story of Aurelio Barreto. He was the guy that founded the C28 stores that you've seen in the uh, Riverside Tyler Mall. I'm not sure if it's still there. But he had a company called Dog Glue, and it was a doghouse made to look like an igloo. And he sold it for millions of dollars, got a big windfall. He went to a Porsche dealer in the Inland Empire, bought this brand new turbo red, cherry red Porsche convertible. I don't know what the model was, but anyway, it's the one everybody wants. And he said he was cruising down the 91 freeway as a non-Christian and a wave of emptiness just came over his soul. He paid cash for the car. And he said he felt totally empty. And I just thought to myself, I just would like to try it. Just to see (laughs) if I'd feel that same emptiness. (laughs) But he was a non-Christian. And he was experiencing what all of us, I think, who have come to Christ have come to realize. It doesn't matter what you possess. If that thing becomes an idol to you, you're lost. You're putting another God before the God of the Bible. I'm not attacking anybody who drives something red. (laughs) That's fast. 
as long as you're not waxing it on Sunday morning instead of being here. And if you find yourself starting to fall before it, watch out. There are idols everywhere, and idols are simply a heart-level substitute to take the place of God. There are things that we turn to. Instead of turning to God, we turn to the idol. And sometimes, let's be honest, we do it in our temptation. We get tempted, we get overwhelmed by life, and we go back to that old thing that somehow will bring us some solace, or at least we think so. And usually when we do that, we add another problem to our lives. Some of us nervously eat, or you know, people smoke, or people drink, or they, and they do all this stuff, and they think, well, this is my escape. No, Jesus is your escape. He is the way of escape. But oftentimes, let's be honest, when we face temptation, we don't call upon him. But he's invited us to a throne of grace when we have a need. He already knows what you're going through anyway. It's not like you're going to hide it from him. Lord, could you look away for her? No. He already knows. He knows what you're wrestling with. He knows the struggles that you go through. So it would be good just to let him in formally. Just say, Lord, you know I'm here. You know I'm struggling with this. Whether it's anger, whether it's covetousness, whether it's lust, whatever it is. He says, come. He invites us to a throne of grace. We might find help in our time of need. He's experienced the wilderness. He knows what it's about. And he's there. Now the wilderness tradition actually comes uh, from several passages. Deuteronomy 8 is the one I want to focus on. Deuteronomy 8, Genesis, Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Moses is writing his last book and he's getting ready to pass the baton of leadership and he's going to die. And he says these words to Israel in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8.1 All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. Deuteronomy 8.2 And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, Deuteronomy 8.3, and he let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna. They ate the bread of angels, as we're told in one of the Psalms which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now we're going to see that when Jesus is done with his baptism, that same spirit that descended upon him like a dove drives him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And three times the devil tempts him. Mark's account is very brief. There's a brevity to it. It's expanded upon in Luke and it's expanded upon in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And the first of three temptations recorded there is the devil coming to Jesus. He's been fasting for 40 days just like Moses did up on the mountain. And the devil says, hey, if you're the Son of God or since you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Use your power. God must be holding back. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. Why are you hungry right now? By the way, Jesus faced a literal devil 
in the wilderness. Mono imano. The devil is not some symbolic figure in the Bible for evil. He is literal. There is a literal enemy. The Bible says he's on the prowl, 1 Peter 5, 8. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? To devour. Literally, the Greek is he wants to drink you down. Jesus comes to Peter and says, Hey, Peter, just FYI, Satan's been asking for you by name. That he might what? Exalt you? No. That he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Can you imagine me and Peter? Lord, did you really have to tell me that? Couldn't you have just prayed for me? <laughs> I want you to know he's on the prowl. Now what comes before 1 Peter 5.8 is this promise. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he what? He cares for you. The very next verse is about a lion on the prowl who attacks us in moments of weakness. You ever watch those, those programs with the lion hunting? You know, turn on one of those channels and you're like, you see that one deer by the water hole, nobody else is around. You're like, oh no. <laughs> and here comes the lion and it's not pretty. Just drinks them down, man. And we get this way when we're feeling weak. Think about it. Jesus just came off this incredible experience. The heavens open. The Father affirms him. The Spirit comes down like a dove. And it's like you come from the high moment. You're on the mountain to a moment of temptation. That's kind of how life is, right? Sometimes you feel like, I'm impenetrable, man. I'm super Christian. Come out of a worship. Worship service. And you start calling out the devil. Don't ever do that, by the way. Don't do that. And you feel like you're cool, and then all of a sudden you, you come home and not everybody's on board with your spiritual experience, right? <laughs> Reality sets in. <laughs> trash to take out, and dishes, and <laughs> children. <laughs> it's not easy. And then the enemy comes. You know, you deserve better than this. Why do you have to? You're the Son of God. Just And Jesus, identifying with us in our humanity, He relies on the Holy Spirit. He relies on ministering angels. We'll see in Mark 1, verse 13. And he deals with it. And he overcomes. He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 in the wilderness tradition. He says, man shall not live on bread alone. Look at verse 3, end of the verse. But by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Jesus was the master swordsman. He preached Use the Bible in his temptations. What a novel idea. You're supposed to see his example and do the same. But it requires something of you. You need to know the Bible. You need to have Scripture at the ready. In fact, Ephesians 6, and I think most of you know this, so I'll just, I'm just going to talk about a few verses, says, Our struggle, it's all of our struggle. It would be good for you just to know that. We're all in a struggle. Our struggle, it's not my struggle, just it's all of our struggle. It's not against flesh and blood. Sometimes I say, Paul, are you sure? (laughs) Yes, it's not just against people. It's against principalities and powers. It's against these spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's why I need the full armor of God. And Ephesians 6.17 says, I have a sword of the Spirit, and it is what? It's the Word of God. The word word there is not logos in Greek, it's rhema. 
The word rhema is a specific word for a specific temptation. You'll notice, if you've ever studied these sections, that when Jesus retorts or responds to the enemy with the word, it's not just some idle scripture from somewhere. It's actually a scripture tailored to the temptation. He says, hey, you're hungry. Turn those stones into bread. And Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone. See, what God is trying to do to Israel in the wilderness is show them that there's a deeper need that they have. It's a spiritual need. My food is to do the will of God, to accomplish the work that he sent me to do. God says uh, through Moses, Deuteronomy 8.4, your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, Deuteronomy 8.6, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, of flowing uh, forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity in which you shall not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when you your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then, in your, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. That rock, remember, we're told in 1 Corinthians 10, was Christ. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you, to do good for you, what's your Bible say? In the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may uh, confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And it shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not, what your Bible say, listen The wilderness is the place of the word. You would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Turn to Deuteronomy 32. You see what Moses is doing, almost like Paul is doing in 2 Timothy 4. This is the last of what he's going to say. And so he wants to drive the point home. And he's got so much to say to them, but his main message is obey God. Because God's the one that blesses. Deuteronomy 32, verse 1, he says, Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, Deuteronomy 32.2. My speech distill as the dew, as the droplets of 
the fresh grass and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. 1 Corinthians 10.4, you might want to write there. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Skip down to verse 15. But Jeshurun, that's a symbolic name for Israel, it speaks of their ideal character, what they should have been. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God. You know, when the enemy came to Jesus in the temptation after the whole hunger temptation, he said, hey, Jesus, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and he said, all these I'll give to you if you'll just, what? Bow down and worship me. And when Israel was in the wilderness, Moses went up for 40 days to get the top 10, to get the Ten Commandments, and it wasn't long before Israel made what? A golden calf, and they began to worship that golden calf. They said, as to this Moses, we don't know what happened to him. He walked into fire. People don't usually come out of that. And so they began to say to this idol, this is the God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine being God? You've done 10 incredible, mighty plagues by your powerful hand. You open the sea with a blast of your nostrils. You let, it, let them come through. You let the waters fall on Egypt. Not one of them was left. And it doesn't take but a few weeks and the people of Israel are worshiping another God, acclaiming that he's the one, this idol, who brought them out of the land. And God says when they did that, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, that same uh, wilderness chapter, if a demon is, if an idol is anything, it's demonic. In other words, he's saying an idol's really nothing, it's just an object. But if there's anything behind it, it's demonic. And Israel in the wilderness, when they bowed to an idol, get this, in essence, they were bowing to Satan. Do you know that Satan was there in the wilderness? tempting them, trying to get them to leave the the God who had led them out and deceiving them. And when we put another thing before the God of the Bible, whatever that thing may be, we don't think about it this way, but we need to. We're basically bowing before the God of this age. And Satan says, if you want the kingdoms of the world, what did God say to Israel? I'm going to take you to a good land. You're going to be a light to the nations. I'm going to take you to fortified cities and houses you haven't built. You're going to get everything, all, all this, this wonderful kingdom. And what does Satan say to Jesus? Well, just, just take the easy way out. Turn the bread, turn the stone into bread. Um, go ahead and just, just, it's not much. I mean, it's just a quick bow. Just bow before me. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to bow before you, Satan. It's the Lord God alone that you worship. You don't have any, any idols before God. You see, where Israel failed, Jesus does what? He succeeds. Where they fell to temptation, he stands tall. He was hungry. He had not eaten. The devil's coming at him with full force, and he's showing us how to do it. Look at verse uh, 24. They shall be wasted by famine, consumed by plague and bitter destruction. The teeth of beasts 
It says that Jesus was out with the wild beasts in Mark 1. I will send upon them with the venom of crawling things of the dust. Skip down to verse 27. Had I not feared the provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misjudge, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant, the Lord has not done all this. For they are a nation lacking in counsel. There's no understanding in them. Just put the United States there in your margin. Not directly speaking of us, but I tell you today, I look at verses like this and I go, is there anybody who can speak rationally? Thank God there's a few people emerging, but would that, would that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would discern their future, 29. How could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. And then finally, skip down to verse 45 of the same chapter, 32, 45. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words which I am warning you today, which you shall command to your sons. Observe carefully even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. One writer I read recently said, the scriptures were life to Moses and food to Jesus. They cannot and must not be anything less to us. They are the very breath of God, our life and our food. Please turn back to the Gospel of Mark. And I look at the church today and there is a frightening biblical illiteracy going on. Modern movements, at least a part of the church, there's good godly Bible teaching churches, but there's many churches who have embraced a model that you cannot take more than 20 minutes of a sermon. You've got to be entertained. We've got to play some videos for you. Make sure we don't preach over 35 minutes or your eyes may begin to glaze over. You might just spontaneously combust in your seat. <laughs> I just couldn't handle it, man. <laughs> what? We can go to movies for three hours. We got no problem with that. Stand in line for 13 hours to see the three-hour movie. But let's not get too overboard with that Bible stuff. What? You need to know your Bible. And have it at the ready. Your word, David said, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I meditate on his word day and night. And I'll be like a tree planted, bearing fruit and not withering. Are you withering right now? Are you dried up? You feel dry? When's the last time you got into the Bible? You know, the modern evangelical church now picks up their Bible maybe when they come on Sunday. That cannot be the case, you guys. 2016, hopefully, will be a year of the Bible for you. Because the Bible, the Scriptures, are inspired by God. They are literally breathed out by God. I preached on this on Wednesday night. And they are profitable for everything that you need. When I speak a word, I breathe out my words. And God's word is breathed out by God. And whatever he breathes out, I want to breathe in. You know what I'm saying? I want to take in as much as I can. I, need, I go to Bible studies all week long because I know how desperately I need the word. 
and what an adversary I have. There's a battle, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You remember the devil comes to Jesus, the final temptation, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. He says, just go ahead and throw yourself off because now the devil quotes the Bible. It is written. You know, Jesus has been saying, it is written, it is written. He's taken his sword. Gegraptai is the Greek word. It means it stands written forever. It was like, it was like Jesus' deflector shield against the enemy. Now the devil says, well, it's written. He shall give his angels charge over you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He quotes Psalm 91. And if you read commentaries, people say, oh, well, he twisted it. He misquoted it. I'm not sure that he misquoted it, but he misapplied it. Because what he's basically saying is, go ahead, just do a swan dive off the pinnacle of the temple, because there's a verse that says that God's angels will take care of you. Go ahead, jump. You ever heard this before? Scriptures that are preached but misapplied. That doesn't work either. That's part of the devil's playground is to twist the scriptures to people's destruction. So scripture that's misapplied is dangerous too. He's telling Jesus, just jump and the angels will just hold you up. And Jesus says, no, you shall not, what? Test or tempt the Lord your God. Exactly what Israel did at the waters, right? They, they said, is God with us or not? When you test God, it's basically an expression of unbelief. Well, God, I'm not really sure if you're real, so here's what I'll do. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> you do that, the next sound you're going to hear is splat. Because God is not going to play that game. He's going to say, when you're in the wilderness, do what my son did. Doesn't mean you won't be hungry and feel hunger pains. It doesn't mean that things won't look attractive and the quick way and easy way out will seem expedient to you. It will seem easier. Yeah. The easy way out is called just that for a reason. But quick exits and shortcuts and all that stuff gets you to the same place. And we're in the instant generation now, right? Everything, bam, it's got to be now. I'm in the line, two minutes and 40 seconds for that burrito. Come on! <laughs> what? That's where we are, folks. And all of a sudden, we're being told in the Scripture, no, we've got to wait on the Lord. No, we've got to be patient. No, we've got to rely on the Spirit. And we're like, well, this is hard. Yeah, it is. It's hard for all of us. It's going to take a consistent leaning upon the Spirit of the living God. Notice this spirit, uh, Mark 1.12, immediately, right after his baptism, the spirit impelled him. That means the spirit drove him to go out into the wilderness. Why? He was in the wilderness 40 days, just like Israel wandered 40 years. Moses was on Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was being tempted by Satan, a literal devil. His name, Satanus, means adversary. He's a deceiver. And he was with, Jesus was with the wild beasts like Israel was in the wilderness. And what does it say? And the angels were ministering to him. He relied upon the Spirit. Turn to Luke 4. Luke 4, look at verse 1. Here's the key to overcoming temptation. It's the Word. It is written. It is written. It is written. It's having that rhema word ready for the particular temptation. Some of you say, Pastor Michael, you have a lot of Scripture memorized 
but I don't. I don't have a great memory. Ginkgo biloba is what I would recommend. <laughs> supposed to improve your memory. I have no idea if it works, but but look. <laughs> Try. Take one verse. Let it percolate in your soul. Turn off the devices. Say, Lord, write that Bible verse in my heart. You might be surprised what God may do. I've even heard stories of people who have had their memory and uh, ability to retain revolutionized by the Spirit of the living God. He can do things like that. Try it. You might find that he'll do it for you. I heard of a pastor some years ago. He had memorized the entire King James Bible, Old and New Testament. Can you imagine just the genealogies in the King James Bible? Having those memorized. He had the entire Bible memorized in the King James Version. Maybe we could just try for one book. Some of the books are one chapter. (laughs) Start there. One verse is better than no verses. You got to have a goal. He who aims at nothing is bound to hit it. Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Luke 4, verse 1, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit, where? In the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit, Luke 4, 1, and full of the Spirit. That's the key. But why would the Spirit take him into the wilderness? Because he's doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Where we failed, he succeeds. And you would think, well, if that's the case, if he perfectly kept the will of his Father, then he wouldn't be among those who were laid low in the wilderness, right? Wrong. You see, he lives the perfect life that we could never live, where Israel failed, where all Gentiles fail, but then he ends up where? On a cross. And you have to ask the question, why is he there? And he's there for me because he so loved me. That he just didn't leave me to swim in my failure. He came to rescue. And so he lives that perfect life. He faces the devil. He triumphs over principalities and powers at the cross. He rises from the tomb. And he says, because I live, you will live also. I've won the victory. You want to be on my team? I'll provide everything you need. Hebrews 2 and 4 and we're done. Hebrews 2 and 4, towards the back of the New Testament. Hebrews 2 and 4. Now, Jesus went through temptation because he was made like his brethren in all things. And here's these two incredible verses. I just want to leave you with this because this is the encouragement because it just doesn't end with the wilderness experience and the temptation and the cross and the resurrection, Jesus has a present ministry to us today and it's found here. Hebrews 2.16 says, Assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren, Hebrews 2.17, in how many things? In all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now Jesus was tempted by the enemy. I'm sure he experienced other temptations in his humanity. 
But Jesus' major temptation, where he was tempted in that which he suffered, in my opinion, was the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was there that he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And our great high priest knows what it's like to be under such intense pressure. At least some theologians believe that what Luke is telling us is that capillaries were bursting under his skin. He was feeling the weight of what was ahead. And he was sweating, as it were, out of his pores, great drops of blood. You know, sometimes we're in agony and we don't know where to go. And when you go to the heavens and you meet with your high priest, man, he knows. He knows what it's like. Betrayed by a friend, deserted by a man who said, I'll never, though everybody else, I'll die for you, and he bails. Since then, Hebrews 4.14, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in how many? in all things, as we are yet without sin. In light of this truth, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne, not of condemnation, but of grace, that we might receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Father, thank you for the wilderness picture. Thank you for Jesus retracing the footsteps of Israel through the Jordan River that they were to cross, facing the demonic enemy and winning, facing hunger and relying upon the Lord, facing uh, temptation to test you and saying no, facing a quick and easy way, maybe even a promise of avoiding the cross and saying, no, I will do it my Father's way. Jesus not only shows us the way, he is the way. The way of salvation and the way of escape. He doesn't always remove fires from our lives, Lord, but thank you that you enter the fire with us. You will never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us. Thank you that you invite us to a throne of grace where our master king and high priest went through the wilderness, wandered and experienced victory and says, I can sympathize. I understand. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and in me you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Lord, thank you for the beautiful picture of a throne because it means you're a king. And yet it's a throne of grace for your people. You're a great high priest sitting on your throne, ever living to intercede for your people. We're not alone in this journey. We often feel like we're in the wilderness, Father, and Sometimes in our failures, we wonder if you would ever even want to see our face again. And the beauty of who you are is that you came to die for us knowing our shortcomings and you adopted us into your family because you love us. 
You say, I haven't given up on you. Come. If you're not a believer in Jesus, come now. The, the devil will say tomorrow. The Bible says now is the acceptable time. Now is the time of salvation. If you're a wandering believer, maybe you're a prodigal, you know you've been losing to temptation. Well, the Lord would welcome you back if you just run into his arms. If either one of those things apply to you, it's something like this. I would encourage you to pray it now and pray it out loud. Jesus, save me. Come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior and my King. I repent of my sin. I put my full trust in you, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Please make me your child. Cause me to be born again of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, for those who have cried out to you, may you just bless them. May you fill them with your Spirit. May you help a saint who is feeling a heavy load and the struggle. You teach us so many things in the wilderness and through our failures we often learn the most. Let us have more consistent victory over temptation that we might grow stronger, become more like your son. Instead of being self-consumed in this year with our weaknesses and frailties and shortcomings, we'll be consumed with being a vessel of honor fit for the master's use. Let us be prepared when we leave this message, Lord, for temptation to come our way. Surely it will. Maybe even more so now that we've heard this message. Let us be aware of the devil's schemes and put on that full armor that we might take our stand. We love you. We worship you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.